One of my favorite paintings in the world and one of the most famous paintings of all time is The Starry Night. You can see an image of it right back here on the screen. The Starry Night was painted by the famous artist Vincent van Gogh. It was painted in the late 1800s and it's a painting that depicts a calm southern French village just before sunrise. Above this French village are these swirling, turbulent skies and these bright, brilliant stars and these different hues of yellow. It's a painting that's captivated and mesmerized audiences for over a century. Now, if you're hearing this and you're wondering if I'm here to give you an art lesson today, the answer is no, you don't have to worry. Although a friend of mine once did call me a modern day Bob Ross, as you can see. <laughs> but I bring up the starry night because what a lot of people don't know of is the process and the struggle that the artist Vincent van Gogh had to go through before he painted this masterpiece. You see, Vincent van Gogh, as famous of an artist as he is, as great of an, as an artist as he is, many considering him to be the father of modern art, Vincent van Gogh was far from perfect. You see, Vincent van Gogh struggled mightily with mental health, with depression. His mental illness has got so bad that one point in his life, he even admitted himself into a mental health asylum. Ironically, the starry night, this beautiful, well-recognized, popular painting was painted from the east-facing window in Van Gogh's room in this mental health institution. And after Van Gogh painted it, he didn't think much of it and neither did anyone else. In fact, Van Gogh's paintings and art were rejected while he was alive. Do you know that while Vincent van Gogh was alive, he only sold one painting? His works were completely rejected. But eventually though, the true quality of the starry night would be discovered and it would be recognized for what it is, a masterpiece. I think a lot of us here today are kind of like a Starry Night painting or a Vincent van Gogh painting. And what I mean by that is this, have you ever felt like you didn't have much value? Have you ever felt rejected in your life? Rejected by maybe friends, family, your colleagues? Have you ever felt like you didn't measure up in some way or you didn't meet other people's standards or the world's standards? Like you weren't good enough or you weren't smart enough or you weren't talented enough? Maybe instead of feeling like a beautiful work of art, per se, you felt like the opposite, like damaged goods, like something that has no value, is worthless, should just be discarded and thrown away, but this is not the truth. The truth is, you have been created by God, who is the creator of the entire universe, and you are God's masterpiece. I have a huge affinity for art. I like it all. Everything from jazz music to electronic dance music to art and music festivals like Austin City Limits to even black and white classic Hollywood films. Yes, I like film and movies a lot. In fact, I like movies so much that I often go and see movies by myself in the theater. Does anyone else here do that? 
Yeah? A little Frozen 2? Just kidding. Frozen 2. Talking to a room full of adults. Moana? Coco? I like art so much. But the reason why I have such a great affection for art is because art has played such an instrumental part in my own healing journey. You see, when I was a young boy, I was not very happy. I'm from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and as much as I love my hometown and I am proud to be from my hometown, Baton Rouge is not as diverse as what you might see here on Sunday morning at Gateway Church or even in Austin. And because of this, growing up, kids did not like me because of the color of my skin. Kids in my neighborhood used to reject me. Kids all throughout grade school rejected me. They used to hurt me. They used to make fun of me. They used to call me harsh and unkind and horrible, horrible things. I remember when I was in the third grade, in fact, I went to the restroom. I was in the restroom at school. I was the only person in the restroom. And all of a sudden comes another young boy, a boy who I'd never seen before in my life, never spoken to once and didn't say a word to that day. But because this young boy didn't like the fact that I was Asian, he approached me and he struck me right in the face and just walked out. I remember standing there alone after this happened, thinking to myself and being confused Huh, that's interesting. Why did that just happen? Blood was dripping down my face because when the boy struck me, he gave me a nosebleed. Huh, what did I just do? I didn't say one word to him. You know, because I was so young at the time, I wasn't aware yet of the spiritual component of this life and in this world, but it was like right in that moment, the enemy was lurking in the background. And he was saying to eight-year-old John, man, John, that was, that was confusing, huh? Why did that just happen? You know why that just happened, John? It's because there must be something wrong with you. You know, clearly those were lies. But because I was so young, and when you're so young at, at this age, in third grade, at eight years old, your mind and your reasoning, your logic are still developing. And because of those lies and because of how young I was, I came to the conclusion that what just happened was my fault, that what just happened took place because there was something wrong with me. And the enemy was right there aiding this thinking. You see... We have an enemy in this world. There is a spiritual adversary against us in this world. Scripture actually calls him the father of lies. In John 8, it says, He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character for he is a liar and the father of lies. He is the father of lies. But again, because I was so young and I didn't know any better, and because of other similar experiences I had growing up, I came to believe these lies that, in fact, there was something wrong with me on a fundamental level. Like I was some sort of defected product. 
that I was ugly, not only on the outside, but on the inside, in my entirety, and that I was completely valueless. I don't tell you this today to make you feel bad. Because eventually God showed me that these lies weren't true. And he redeemed this. I'm from Baton Rouge, like I mentioned, but I've had a pretty unique journey in my life, which has included living in Los Angeles for five years. In Los Angeles, I went to a church called Mosaic Church, led by Pastor Erwin McManus. And Erwin McManus wrote a book called The Artisan's Soul, and this book literally changed my life. It was one of the ways that God redeemed these lies that I was told and that I believed and helped me to discover the truth of who I am in him. You see, the premise of the artisan's soul is that we were all created in the image of God. And because God is a creative God and he is creative, we are all creative as a result. And we are all artists in some way as well. And now that I know this truth, now that I know the truth of who I am in God, I'm passionate about helping others know this truth. For example, I like to do some painting in my own free time. And last year in my hometown of Baton Rouge, I participated in a small local art event where I was able to display a few of my paintings. At this event, I met another young artist whose name, to protect our privacy, I'll call her Sarah. Sarah was a young African-American girl who was about a sophomore in college. She was such a talented artist, so much more talented than me. I began talking to her, and I complimented her on her art. She received my compliments bashfully, but then our conversation turned quickly, and Sarah began to open up to me in a very personal way. She told me that when she was younger, she grew up with a verbally abusive father, and her father used to tell her horrible things. He used to tell her that she was ugly, that there was something wrong with her. He even used to tell her that she was a monster. As a result of these things, Sarah internalized these lies that she heard when she was so young. She wrapped her malleable soul around these false ideas and these concepts and began to form a false image of who she was and how she was brought forth into this world. And she was so unhappy in the present as a result. Sarah even told me that she was so unhappy because of these things that she was told and that she believed about herself that she even used to physically hurt herself sometimes. My heart broke. This wouldn't be the last time I saw Sarah. I ran into Sarah a couple weeks later at a store in town. I saw her and I approached her and I said, hey, Sarah, how are you? It's good to see you. As she responded, I could still see and sense this deep sadness within her. And I happened to glance down at her arm and I could see on the bottom of her wrist multiple cut marks and scars from her attempts to injure herself. My heart broke even more. Here is a young lady who was so talented, had so many gifts, and was clearly so special. But because of lies, told to her about who she was and how she was created, this precious young girl hated herself and despised herself, and she suffered as a result. And many of us here today have had similar experiences to Sarah, maybe not to the same degree or the same severity, but we've all had experiences that made us believe lies about who we are and how we were created. But this is not the truth of how God created us.
You see, I'm not sure what your perception of God is. I'm not sure how you've thought of him, how you've identified him as. Maybe you've thought of God as your father, as your savior, as Lord, as king. All of these things are true. But did you know that God is an artist? He's an artist. He is creator. And he is such a great artist. He is so creative. I'm fascinated by the fact that when you open the Bible, when you open scripture, literally the first thing that you see God do is create. The first book of the Bible is Genesis. And in the opening line of Genesis, it says, in the beginning, God created. Create is the first verb of the Bible. God is an artist and a master artist. He's an artistic genius. And his artistry is evident to all and on display for all of us to see. God created the entire universe in all its complexity and beauty and wonder. He created light. He created the stars. He created the galaxies and the planets. He created mountains and lakes. He created the oceans and these expansive bodies of water. God created trees and forests and flowers and this beautiful, colorful, vibrant vegetation. He created animals and he created fish and he created birds. God created insects. I'm a little upset that God created insects especially mosquitoes. But God created everything in creation. But here's the thing, God was not done creating. After creating all of this, all of that we see in creation, God was not done. No, he saved his best for last. His greatest work of art, his masterpiece. Do you know what God created? He created you and me. Now, I know some of y'all are hearing this this morning, and you're like, <laughs> yeah, right, John. Me, God's greatest work of art, God's masterpiece, God's greatest creation, that sounds great, really, really sweet and nice, kind of romanticized. I think you've been watching too many black and white Hollywood romance films, um, but not me, John. There's no way that I'm greatest, God's greatest work of art. But here's the thing. God is God, and God is perfect, and God is good, and God does not mess up. He doesn't mess up. No, everything God creates is good because he is good. It is impossible for God to create something that is not good. If he were to do so, it would go against his nature, disabling him from even being God. God does not mess up, and humanity was God's greatest creation. You see, God created humanity in a way that was different from everything else he had previously made in creation. Genesis 1.26 describes how he made us this way. And then God said, let us make humanity in our image to resemble us 
so that they may take charge of the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the earth, all the crawling things on earth. God created humanity in God's own image, in the divine image. God created them, male and female, God created them. When God created humanity, God created humanity in his divine image. And he created humanity to resemble him, the God and creator of this universe. There was something different, something that set apart humanity from everything else God had previously made in creation. There was something special about humanity, something sacred, something divine and holy and royal. God created us to be like himself in a way in this world. Erwin McManus describes it this way. While all creation declares God's glory and his image, we humans bear the image of God. All creation, everything that we see today declares God's glory, God's goodness, and God's beauty, but only you and I bear God's divine image. That word image, it refers to something that's been carved out or cut out of a source, something that's been crafted. One scholar says it refers to a monument that's been crafted in the likeness of an ancient Near Eastern king that would be set up in and at the borders of his domain in order to identify his claim to dominion. This right here is the ruler of this kingdom. They represent me, the creator and ruler of this world. I mentioned that I've had a unique journey in my life, and part of that has also included living in New York City for five years. And in New York City is one of the most famous statues in the world, the Statue of Liberty. The Statue of Liberty stands on Liberty Island. It's right in the middle of New York's harbor. It's about 300 feet tall. It was created in the late 1800s. And not only is the Statue of Liberty one of the most famous statues in the world, it's one of the most iconic landmarks of all time. For years, the Statue of Liberty has been seen as this majestic symbol. There's something majestic about the Statue of Liberty. It's been seen as this welcoming symbol for years for the millions of people who have come to this country by water. When they've seen the Statue of Liberty, it's acted as this symbol of hope, of progress, of democracy, of freedom, pointing them in reflecting what is to come to the country that they are coming to in the same way. God created you to be like a symbol of God. He crafted you in the divine image of God a symbol of his goodness, his beauty, his reign, and his rule so that we could reflect him and point people in this world to him, the creator of this world, the creator of them. And not only did God make us and craft us to reflect him, but God also made us in deep intimacy and like a work of art. 
When I was younger, my aunt, she made my mom this, this unique artwork. Using a needle and thread, she knitted together these three different images of these three flowers, a violet, a rose, and a daffodil. I don't know exactly how long it took my aunt to make this, but it looked like that she took so much time and it required so much precision and detail for my aunt to knit together and weave together this special work of art. Underneath each flower, she even inscribed the name of each flower using the needle and thread. She took that time in detail to inscribe the name of each flower. I'm all about efficiency, so if it were me, I would have taken a Sharpie and just written rose, <laughs> violet, daffodil. But not my aunt. She intricately knitted together this artwork. And like my aunt knitted and wove together this piece of art, God created you in the same exact way. He thoughtfully and intentionally created you in deep intimacy. Psalm 139, 13 through 15 says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. God knitted you together in your mother's womb. You were fearfully and wonderfully made, referring to this reverence, this awe, something being extraordinary. You were made in secret. You were woven together, knitted together, in the depths of the earth. This is who you are and how you were created. This is so different from what my friend Sarah was told. It's so different from what I was told. Is it so different from what you were told and believed? Is it so different from what you currently believe about yourself and how you see yourself today? We were each made in deep intimacy and love. You see, God is such a big and powerful and vast God. As we described earlier, God created the entire universe, the stars and the galaxies and the planets and the oceans, but God is also so intimate. Such beautiful contrast, right? God is so personal. He's like your friend, your very best friend. And not only did God create you, he created your heart. Psalm 139, 13 says, for you created my inmost being. That phrase, inmost being, it refers to our heart, our soul, the core of our being. God created your heart and he loves your heart. And he thinks your heart is so Beautiful. First Samuel 16, 7, it says, The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Your heart is so beautiful to God, so beautiful, that God wants to make his dwelling place in your heart. Ephesians 3:17 says, Then Christ will make his home in your hearts. As you trust in him, the God of this universe, wanting to make his dwelling place in our hearts, in the hearts of human beings. This is who our God is. Amazing, right? 
The God who created all of creation, the entire universe and all its complexity and wonder and majesty chooses as his dwelling place the hearts of human beings. This is who our God is. But here's the thing. God doesn't force his way into our hearts. No. God wants to have a relationship with us. He is a relational God. He's a personable God. He doesn't want to control us. God didn't create robots. He created us because he wants to have a relationship with us. God doesn't force his way into our hearts. Instead, he wants us to invite him into our heart. You see, God created the entire world as we described earlier including humanity. And humanity had this perfect relationship with God. He created us to be in this beautiful love relationship with him, to be like him in a way, but eventually humanity turned away from God. And we were separated from God as a result. And not only that, humanity lost its knowledge of who they were created by and how they were created in the divine image. Our view of ourselves became broken and distorted, and we became broken. But instead of God neglecting us and leaving us as a lost cause, God did something remarkable. He drew closer to us. And he drew closer to us by sending his son, Jesus, to earth. And you know how we were talking about God being so intimate? Oh, when God came to earth, he came to us in the most intimate way, in the most humble way. He came to us as a baby. And that baby grew up and became a man. And Jesus lived with us. And he walked with us and he explained the scriptures to us and who he was. And he just spent time with us. He ate and drank with us. He went to weddings and parties and celebrations. He sang with us and he played with kids and he enjoyed life with us. And Jesus called us friends, the God of this universe, the creator of this universe, calling us friends. Amazing. And then he died for us. Jesus chose to be crucified on a cross willingly. And he shed his own blood for us so that all of our sins could be completely washed away. But Jesus didn't just die for us so that we could be forgiven. He died for so much more than that. Jesus died so that he could take all of the lies that we've been told, all of our hurts and our pains, all of our wounds and our scars, all of the pain that you walked in here this morning carrying, all of our brokenness and our damaged and broken, distorted views of ourselves. Jesus died for all of these things to show us the truth of who we really are to show us how valuable we really are, 
to show us that we are good enough, that we do have worth, to show us how beautiful we actually are, to show us how loved we really are by him. It's like Jesus is saying, those lies that you were told and that you believed, those aren't true. And you might be asking, how do I know, Jesus? How do I know? And it's like Jesus is saying, this is how. Because I died for you. This right here defines you. This is the truth of who you are. You are so valuable and so precious to me and worth so much that I would die on a cross for you so that I could be with you forever in eternity. God died for us and rose again from the dead to show us how valuable we are, but he also died to restore into us his image, but this time the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the perfect image of God. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the glory of the Lord are being transformed into his image with intensifying glory, referring to Jesus. When we invite Christ into our lives and our heart, God, the master artist, transforms us into the image of his son, Jesus, who is, again, the perfect image of God. And God makes us into a masterpiece to do good in this world and to help others know who God is. In Ephesians 2, it says, for we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. God created us to be a masterpiece and he created us to do good in this world and so that we can help other people who don't know God, know their creator and know that they were created in his divine image. Maybe you're here today and you're hearing this conversation of being wounded in life and, and identifying lies we've believed and living as a masterpiece and it doesn't really resonate with you. Maybe you already know this and you're already able to live in the truth that you are God's masterpiece. Praise God for that. You are blessed. But there are so many people around you who do struggle with this. Consider how you might be able to help others walk in this truth of who they are in God. But for the rest of us, how do we apply what we're talking about today? One thing we need to do is replace the lies that we've been told and that we believed with what we see in God's word, with the truth. This is similar to what John Burke, our senior pastor, spoke about in the series Triggered, where he spoke about how we've all made these agreements, simply these, these beliefs about ourselves that are not true, and how we need to replace these agreements or make new agreements with what God's word says about us in those areas of our lives. This is why it's so important for us to read God's word. For example, if, if you hear a voice telling you, you're nothing, you're worthless, you have no value, or something similar, tell yourself that God's word says, I was fearfully and wonderfully made. 
His word says, I was made in my mother's womb. I'm his masterpiece, his word says. I am the image of God. I was made in the image of the divine. Maybe for you, the lie is, I'm not loved. Replace that lie with how God's word says you are unconditionally loved. Whatever the lie is that you may hear or struggle with, replace that with what God's word says about that. You see, friends, this is why it's so important for us, Gateway South, to read God's word and to be committed to believing what God's word says about us. Also, take advantage of Gateway's recovery ministry. Identifying the lies and learning the truth is sometimes just the first part. We need others to come alongside us and help us process the difficult events of our lives, to discern the lies from the truth, and to help us walk in the truth and experience new life. Our 12 Steps program is a great resource that helps you do just that. Lastly, it helps to live out your identity as God's masterpiece by being in community. None of us are meant to live alone. We need community to encourage us and to remind us of the truth of who we are in God and to live out our identity together. Consider joining one of our life groups or our community groups. Our community groups are brand new groups that have been created here at Gateway just for this reason. They are always open. Anyone can join at any time, and you are encouraged and welcome to come to these groups as you are. If you're interested in joining one of these groups, come find me or a volunteer after service. We would love to connect you into one of these groups. Nobody thought the starry night had any value much less was a masterpiece. Even Van Gogh himself, the artist of the painting, do you know how much the Starry Night is worth today? Over $100 million. If there is one thing that you take away today, let it be this. God is an incredible, amazing artist, and you are his masterpiece. Before I pray for us today, I want to stop and just acknowledge that if you're here and you're hearing all of this talk about how we were made in God's image, how we're God's masterpiece, how we were knitted together in our mother's womb, woven together in the depths of the earth, and all of this is strange and new and foreign to you, maybe even this idea of inviting Christ into your heart, if any of this is something you're hearing for the first time, I just want to give you an opportunity right now to do just that. To invite Christ into your heart. I made this decision when I was a freshman and in college, and it was a decision that completely changed the trajectory of my life and future. If you make this decision, I promise you, you will never regret it. And you can invite Christ into your heart by making a simple prayer in your heart or out loud and by saying, Jesus, I invite you into my heart. I invite you into my life. God, I thank you so much this morning for your word and this message. Thank you that you created us in your image and in the divine image, God. I pray for whatever lies we've been told or we've believed, whatever false messages were communicated to us or conveyed to us, 
that we believed and embraced, even at a young age, I pray that you would dispel those lies and show us the truth of who we are and help us to walk in your truth that we're your masterpiece and to help others in this world know that as well. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.